Thanks for listening to the AI and IT Ops podcast brought to you by New Relic. This is Episode 7, The Full Interview. For all things application performance management, AI ops, digital transformation, and more, check out www.apmdigest.com. Our guest today is Will Capelli, field CTO for Moogsoft and a former Gartner Research VP. And now, your host of the podcast, industry veteran, consultant, and analyst, Andy Thurai. Welcome to the AI and IT Ops podcast. I am Andy Thorai, founder and principal at thefieldcto.com, home of unbiased emerging technology advisory services. Our guest for this episode is uh, Will Capelli, an ex-Gartner VP, uh, now a field CTO at Moogsoft. From one field CTO to another, welcome to the show and to the hot seat, Will. Thank you very much, Andy. I'm looking forward to our conversation. So, so Will, while you were at Gartner, a few years ago, you made a comment. 85% of all issues can be tracked back to changes. You remember that? Oh, absolutely. What do you mean by it? What I mean is that if you look empirically at the various incidents that take place, whether those incidents manifest themselves ultimately as outages or simply as events that need to be dealt with before they manifest themselves with outages. In the vast majority of cases, uh, and I would say the number is probably around still 85%, that those incidents can be traced back to changes that have been made somewhere in the stack and in some way or another. It may be through the intervention of a developer. It may be through the downloading of some new component from some web Bay service. It may be changes made in the network. So there's no kind of specific location. But the bottom line is that very rarely in modern IT systems do things just break down, right? It is usually the consequence of some kind of intervention that has been made by a human being, although increasingly perhaps by robots as well, that intervention being made without a full acknowledgement of what the consequences of that intervention being with regard to the system as a whole. So that's ultimately what I meant. As I said, you know, back then, when I was first doing the research involving that, uh, what was interesting was that at that point in time, I would say that most of those incident generating changes, let's say, occurred within the boundaries of a single stack, right? So, you know, application infrastructure network. While that number remains, you know, as I would say, I'll still stand by that 85% number. I would say that an increasingly large percentage of those changes are not so much those incident causing changes are not so much the result of interventions taking place within the stack, but as a result of conflicts that take place because different stacks under the governance of different, let's call them DevOps teams, make changes that are in some sense perfectly okay within the context of their own stack, right? But are kind of unaware of the even larger context of all of the other kind of various application projects or infrastructure projects that may be taking place in an enterprise. 
And hence, as these things enter into the production environment, so to speak, together they come into conflict with one another. And it's that conflict that generates the incident, which can ultimately uh, end in an outage. So the number stays, the basic causality stays, but the character of the changes have shifted from being intra-application or intra-stack into being increasingly inter-application and cross-stack. And I think the DevOps culture is one of the main drivers of that kind of change in the nature of the incident generating changes. You made like three or four points. I want to double-click on each of that. So the first one, I completely agree with some of the facts in there. One is, given that you know we are moving not just necessarily on a cloud environment, but even in the private data center environment, we are building systems for hyperscalability. So it's rarely ever systems will run into situations like, oh, I ran out of memory space, I ran out of CPU space, which means you haven't architected your system properly. So the issue is because of capacity, network, or something else, it's rarely ever occurs. I mean, it, it does happen, but it, it's, it rarely ever happens nowadays with a proper architecture. So which means that the incidents have to happen for a reason. I mean, it's an existing application, stable application. Everything has been working perfect and you're architectured. So assuming that you properly architected for security, scalability, the whole nine yards, none of them will break. So it has to come from somewhere and where that somewhere, the culprit most times seem to be the changes. And, and as you said, DevOps and the agile methodologies take it to the next level. So let me ask you a question on that. That's where I've been, you know, seeing very commonly with a lot of customers. The IT ops and DevOps are totally different cultures. The DevOps especially is about doing the changes, getting it out as quickly as possible, agile culture, the whole nine yards. But where's the other one? The IT ops is more about stability. Less unknowns are better for them. It's a different set of tools, different culture. How do you expect the so-called observability and AI ops to coexist in those different cultures and different environments? I think that in general, the classical enterprise IT ops culture will simply not be able to, how shall I say, kind of persist in uh, modern environments. I mean, I think that in a sense, the enterprise IT ops and service management culture already is being forced to undergo you know, a forced evolution, so to speak. And I think that the COVID pandemic with the con consequent virtualization of the network operating center has, you know, only further kind of driven this change that's taking place. The issue is that even in those parts of the corporate infrastructure, whether that is kind of an in-house infrastructure or is a cloud-based infrastructure or, or some mix of both, precisely because the new applications that are coming on themselves are changing at such a rapid rate and using components that themselves are increasingly femoral and the topologies that interconnect those components are increasingly dynamic, the changes that take place at that level are having a ripple effect across the entire, if you will, kind of corporate IT estate, right? There's no 
part of that estate that is safe from change. And as a consequence, traditional IT ops and service management culture is having to undergo the shift from, yeah, a perspective that, as you were indicating earlier, kind of presupposed that most of what was going on today is the same that what was going on yesterday. And yes, you had to be mindful of those few incidents that would take place and deal with them as quickly as possible. But basically, every action that you took was against the backdrop of incredible constancy. And that is just not the case at all today. So I think that what we're going to see almost across the board with traditional IT ops cultures is effectively, they may not use the same terminology, is but is effectively a shift away from traditional availability and performance monitoring, traditional problem and incident management, change management, configuration management, all the stuff that came under the aegis of idle version two, three, and, and, and now four, and a shift towards an approach that, once again, different terminology may emerge, but is basically what is being advocated now under the terminology of observability. And observability in this context is really in some sense nothing more than saying in the past, because so much was stable, right? Because most of what took place today was the same that took place yesterday. You were able to take data coming in from the environment and shove it into kind of pre-established narratives, pre-established models, and then figure out what was going on through a match between the new data that was coming in, which indicated that very little was changing, and all of the kind of pre-baked information that was packed into those models. That's why topology diagrams and things like that were so critical to kind of traditional monitoring systems. And even to this day, I mean, like, you know, the centerpiece of many APM technologies, it's true of all the vendors, is their application topology visualization capabilities, right? And that was so fundamental to many of these tools. And then when you looked at event management systems, they may not have had much in the way of apologies, but they were kind of structured around the ability to write a priori rules that you would apply to the event signals as they would come in and that would tell you what was going on. Well, that doesn't work in an environment where components are coming in and out of existence in microseconds and apologies are changing once again in microseconds. You have to go back to the data itself. You have to go back to the data in its rawest form, which, as you know, in observability terms is kind of metrics, unstructured logs and traces, and maybe other some other very, very basic data. And you know, do your analysis directly on these data streams coming in. You can't let the monitoring system impose its model on the data coming in. You can't let the event management system impose that event structure on the data coming in. Why? Because those structures aren't valid long enough to give you actual information. So you need to go to the basic underlying data itself. And that change of culture, that shift from, oh, we're going to rely on what is permanent to inform us about what is happening now is, as I say, it's already being forced to shift to a culture where what you're getting is the data and you know the data is streaming in 
And you have to be ready to be completely driven by the data that's coming in to determine what is taking place in your environment. You can't rely on models. You can't rely on event structures. And that cultural change, as I say, whether the IT ops and service management people call it observability, call it DevOps, or not, or call it idle version five, whatever they may end up calling it, it's going to be essentially what the DevOps folks are trying to get at. Now, of course, the DevOps folks, right? Truth of the matter is, as I'm sure you well know, they've been a lot more dev than they are ops, right? So they're, you know, theoretically, they ought to be taking on some of these more operations and service management oriented tasks albeit in a transform matter of the sort I've, I've just talked about. Truth of the matter is that at this point in time, and this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with all of the, you know, ab about changes being, you know, responsible for most of the issues that take place. Truth is that DevOps guys rarely worry sufficiently about what takes place in production, right? They're concerned with getting those components through the production line and into production, but once it's in production, well, you know, they, they don't think about it as much as they ought to. So although you could say the IT ops and service management world needs to adopt that DevOps culture and that thinking in terms of observability, there is another side to the coin, which says that the DevOps world really needs to step up to take on some of the kinds of responsibilities that the IT ops and service management world traditionally has had on its shoulders. I hear you. You're saying that, you know, in the old school development and, you know, IT network maintenance and stuff, there is dev and DevOps, DevSecOps and IT ops and everything was separate. Now you're suggesting everything is supposed to blend in. I, I hear you, but, but as of now, Today, the way the teams are set up is sort of a DevOps, as you said, very, very many developer, majority developers, dev group, and a DevOps group. And, and then the IT ops group is mostly the guys who are going to be managing it. One is responsible for building and pushing it out. In other words, generally, dev and release folks are part of that. And then your IT ops team are the management folks, which always sits in the knock centers and watch your application like a hawk, as they call it, right? There is a major friction between these two groups, especially with the working from home concept, because dev, DevOps guys are working from home. They are pushing out daily hourly changes now. It's not very uncommon to get like 20 changes in a day, right? And they're pushing it out. There's a huge friction between them. Yet I hear theoretically what needs to be done, but how do you fix that immediately? I think that there's kind of a middle ground that, in fact, has emerged in many of the enterprises that you know I've worked with over the years, and I've kind of watched its evolution. And when I look at, for example, a lot of Moosoft customers, you know, particularly uh, in the kind of technology aggressive uh, industries like finance or uh, like uh, media and entertainment. You know, I've seen this development, uh, you know, kind of happen quite clearly. And I think this in some sense is the key to, uh, you know, re resolving some of the issues here. Historically, if you look at enterprise IT, you know, in a way you can kind of divide it up into four 
quadrants, right? Uh, you know, coming from Gartner, I need to use a quadrant metaphor here. And on your vertical quadrants, you've got vertical axis, if you will, goes from infrastructure to applications. So kind of imagine a line and with infrastructure at the bottom and application at the top. And then on your horizontal axis, you've got your line going from development to production, right? So you got four quadrants. The upper left-hand quadrant is application and development. The upper right-hand quadrant is application and production. The lower left-hand quadrant is infrastructure and development. And the lower right-hand quadrant is infrastructure and production. Now, I think that one of the great imbalances, so to speak, in traditional enterprise IT is that the upper left-hand quadrant, application and development, that conjunction of those two concerns has been well occupied by the development teams of the world. And the lower right-hand quadrant, infrastructure and production, has been well occupied by kind of traditional IT ops and service management teams. And the other two quadrants have been kind of largely ignored, right? You know, whether it's application in production or infrastructure and development. And I would say that was those big white spaces, so to speak, was the situation until mm, around 2015. Now, in 2000, around 2015, and, and of course, this, this should be near and dear to the heart of the APM Digest, I think we saw around that time, you know, the absolute normalization, so to speak, of application performance monitoring. I mean, application performance monitoring at that, I'd say by around 2015, there was not a major enterprise in the world that did not believe that it had to have some kind of major APM solution, at least addressing its major business applications. And I mean, I, I still think to this day, probably max about 10% of enterprise applications are fully instrumented and being monitored by APM systems. But nonetheless, it's established. It is considered to be part of the critical toolkit of any modern enterprise. And the teams that are managing those applications, they're not part of the development team. They're not part of the team that is doing IT operations and service management. In fact, they're typically part of the lines of business. I mean, the guys that are in the cockpits of their Dynatrace technologies or their uh, New Relic technologies or, you know, app dynamics or what have you, they tend to be in general, not always the case, but in general, part of the lines of business. I think that this observability flavored approach to IT operations and service management will emerge and is emerging out of these teams, these kind of business-focused application management teams that are in some sense neither part of kind of DevOps as we currently think of it, and certainly not part of IT ops and service management as we think of it. I think that, and here's another kind of you know prediction here that uh, may be kind of a bold statement. I think it's these people that are already demanding a shift 
in the kind of tooling that they use away from kind of traditional APM systems towards technologies that are built more centrally around the ingestion of these core raw primitive data streams, metrics, logs, and traces. And then beyond that, looking for the technologies that do this basic ingestion to provide this dynamic analytic applied to these underlying incoming data streams, which is a very, very different kind of approach than the one you find in traditional application performance monitoring. Now, that's not to say that the APM vendors themselves can't evolve what they're doing in that direction. So I'm not saying necessarily the vendors will change, but I'll predict that in, let's say, five years time, APM, as we know it, will have been completely mutated into kind of an observability plus dynamics analytics kind of capability. And that what are today's application management team will end up absorbing much of the tasks that are currently associated with IT ops and service management, not necessarily merge with the DevOps world, but certainly be working much, much more closely with the DevOps world than the DevOps world has worked traditionally with the classical IT ops and service management community. The AI and IT ops podcast will be back shortly. I'm Pete Golden, the publisher of APM Digest. And I just want to take a break for a minute to talk to you about New Relic, the sponsor that brought you this podcast today. New Relic has done something a little out there. They reworked everything. See, they've been actually listening when people talk about blind spots or being stuck with a dozen different tools or getting hit with hidden costs. First, they went open source, making it so you can actually instrument what you need. Then they made it so you can monitor your whole stack in one place, including serverless. You can use telemetry data from any source for ridiculously cheap, and there's one UI with all your tools. And they completely changed their pricing so you can easily predict it. This is advantageous because who has time to troubleshoot their bill? Best of all, there's a free tier with one user and 100 gigabytes per month, totally free. So you can really make sure it works before you pay a dime. New Relic is definitely worth another look. Check it out at newrelic.com. Observability made simple. And now back to the podcast. Okay, so obviously the concept of uh, APM or the application performance monitoring has been popular for a while. Now everyone is talking about observability. Are they the same thing or did we just invent a new term to sell more stuff? How are they related? Observability and monitoring do mean actually uh, significantly different things. I mean, the term observability, I find that it is used in three distinct ways. And the first meaning is kind of precisely what you're saying there or indicating there that, you know, observability is just the new way to say monitoring, the way the cool kids say monitoring. And when you get down to it, there's not much difference between observability and monitoring. There is a second interpretation, which is an important one. And that is because it's the definition that was the original definition for observability that appealed to those individuals that first began to evangelize the concept of observability over monitoring. And under this definition, observability is in fact a property of 
the systems being observed could be IT systems, but in the original context of control theory, it could be any kind of artificially developed uh, system, I suppose any kind of biological system as well. And a system was observable if it would generate self-descriptive data in the course of its actions, in the course of doing what it did as a system, and that data, when observed by someone, was sufficient to allow the observer to infer the different components that constituted the system and the causal relationships among those components. That ability to go from data to causality, right, was a very, very fundamental aspect of what observability was. So if you had a system that generated data you could monitor that system, but unless that data allowed you to infer causal relationships between components of that system, that system was not observable, right? So there's been always a very kind of deep correlation uh, between the concept of causality and the concept of observability. So that's the second definition that you still find the most learned pundits out there, uh, so to speak, putting forward. The third concept, however, which I think is really the one that is genuinely operative in you know, our current IT and digital business environment, and that third concept involves the notion that in modern systems, things are changing so rapidly all the time that any kind of attempt to impose a model, any time attempt to impose like an event structure on the data that the systems are generating that is self-descriptive is going to effectively kind of falsify what's taking place within those systems because the systems are changing all the time, right? So any kind of more or less permanent structure which you kind of preload into your monitoring system or your event management system that into which you package the self-descriptive data that's being generated by these systems kind of necessarily ends up misleading the observer. So the critical thing is to focus on getting the kind of most basic data out of your underlying system and then performing some kind of analysis on that data that's being generated by the system directly on the data, not going by way of an event structure or an application topology or what have you, but just working with that raw data and allow all of your analysis, all of your inferences as to what is taking place within that system be driven by the data itself. Now, that third definition of observability, you can see kind of its relationship to the second one, you know, in the sense that you're ultimately trying to get at the reality of what is going on causally within the systems that you're observing. But the only way you're going to do that in a modern system that is incredibly dynamic, structure will be changing so dynamically that you can't rely on any sort of a priori packaging, some pre-existing structure, pre-existing narrative into which you want to plug that data. You got to go back to the data itself and do the analysis at that point, right? So you can see the relationship between the second and third definitions, but I think it's the third definition that is really operative. And of course, once you make that claim, right, once you say it's all about, you know, really kind of data-driven or evidence-driven analytics as opposed to a priori analytics or imposing pre-existing structures on data, 
Then comes the question, well, how do you actually execute that analysis? Because you got to execute that analysis at lightning speed as well, right? Or otherwise you're back into the same issue again. So if your idea is you're going to work with live streams of very raw self-descriptive data and do your analysis directly on that data, and that's what the DevOps world wants to be able to do, then you've got to raise the question, well, how are you going to actually do that? Because the data sets are changing far more rapidly than our, than normal human timescales can endure. And the system itself, which is generating those data sets, of course, is itself, as I was talking about earlier, perhaps even changing in microseconds, right? So, you know, you're way below thresholds that human beings can even perceive, kind of let alone analyze. So this whole question of how you increase the velocity of analysis becomes critical in order to make observability work. Otherwise, frankly, you are just redoing monitoring under a slightly more modern name. How is the observability monitoring APM or application performance monitoring, NPMD, network performance monitoring and diagnostics, DEM, digital experience monitoring, and the latest hottest market that you guys are in AI ops. How are they all going to coexist Will they blend into each other, stand in separately? One of them will disappear. What, uh, what do you think? If you look at kind of the present situation, right, uh, they actually all coexist quite nicely. I mean, in the sense that, I, I, yes, I'll say it. I, I mean, I drew the original Gartner diagram, right, that has digital experience monitoring, APM, infrastructure monitoring, NPMD, kind of situated around one another and AI ops in the middle. And I would say that for many enterprises, right, that's pretty much the effective architecture that they have running now on the monitoring side of things. The basic assumption is that, well, application performance monitoring handles the application infrastructure monitoring handles the infrastructure, network performance monitoring and diagnostic handles the network part of the infrastructure. So there you have kind of the stack. And then of course, digital experience monitoring is looking, if you will, at the kind of the last mile, so to speak, the interaction between the stack and the communities of users that make use of the services being delivered by that stack. All of that is monitoring. All of that is kind of generating your core data that you want to work with. And in order to tie it all together, right, and to kind of link uh, the, 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 the data within the digital experience monitoring systems with the data within the APM systems, with the data within the infrastructure monitoring systems, and the network performance monitoring and diagnostic systems, to link that all together so that you can actually see what's going on end to end and you know, observe the incidents, anticipate the outages, do the proper diagnosis, you know, deal with the incidents, hopefully before they actually manifest as outages, you need effectively that kind of brain that kind of sits in the middle and is able to synthesize and interpret all the stuff that's coming in from those four distinct environments. Those monitoring technologies, all of them, whether at the network layer, infrastructure layer, and uh, application layer, digital experience monitoring is a little bit different. But those three of those, they rely heavily on the fact that your underlying systems are relatively static. All of their architectures 
are fundamentally dependent upon kind of data streams coming in and being intercepted by and interpreted by a relatively static model that sits, if you will, between the data and the, and the observer. That relatively static model doesn't really work very well in a DevOps-driven world. You need to kind of be able, in some sense, to just let the data go through and infer the structure, not from some pre-existing knowledge about what's out there, but infer the structure directly from that data. And so the AI ops technology becomes in some sense even more significant because now it's not just piecing together what your application performance monitoring system and your network performance monitoring and diagnostic system are telling you and kind of and, and seeing kind of the the end-to-end whole. It's actually going straight to the data itself and s- surfacing the structures that are in some sense hidden in the data. And I think that what will happen over time, what you'll probably have is those kind of three areas, APM, APMD, and infrastructure monitoring will effectively merge and be replaced by you know, technology. And it may even be very commoditized. I mean, this is another whole issue we haven't touched on. You know, it will be, but some kind of engine that's ingesting logs, metrics, traces, as I say, probably a different stream coming from the realm of digital experience, that being fed to an AI ops platform that is more explicitly kind of a central coordination point, not just organizing all the data that's coming in, but linking the results of analyzing that data that's coming in to an array of systems, some human, some robotic, some cyborg that are capable of responding to what the AI ops technology has, you know, has unveiled, so to speak. So that's how I see all of these different pieces interrelating now and how they're likely to play together in the future. So until now, AI ops has been primarily associated with the IT operations and the service management world, while observability has been primarily associated with the DevOps and the and the SRE world. Is that correct? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's definitely correct. I, I even go a step further in saying it's a cultural thing as well, you know, in the sense that the observability community and the, you know, the opinion makers in the observability community themselves look at AI ops as very much a creature of kind of the traditional IT ops and service management world. And likewise, kind of the pundits, opinion makers, practitioners of IT ops and service management kind of see observability as, as not having something to do with them. So there is a technological distance, but there is also a cultural distance between the two as well. Now, This, of course, I think is massively unfortunate and is something that I, once again, do not think will stand, right? You've got these data streams coming in. They're raw, which is what you want, unvarnished. You know, they're demanding evidence-driven analysis. And then comes the question of how do you do that analysis in the timescale allotted to you? Human beings are physically not able to observe what's going on in the timescales require, and then to analyze uh, what's going on in the timescales that are required. So what you do need is applying AI technology 
directly to the incoming streams of data. Because of course, the AI technology being machine-driven algorithms can work a much better timescales, much lower latency than human beings can. And what we found is that it's not just a question of throwing algorithms at the data. You need to throw very specific kinds of algorithms at the data and at a very specific order. So first, when the, once again, think of the terms of those that basic stream of data coming in metrics, logs, and traces. Well, that data is highly redundant and it's very, very noisy. So the first thing you need is a set of algorithms that are going to attack the noise and redundancy problem. So you're able to kind of take that highly redundant, highly noisy stream of data and turn it into a much smaller information-rich stream of data. Then once you've done that, you need to take the data that's left over, right? The, the now information-rich stream of data, and you need to correlate it. You need to group it together into kind of a meaningful cluster of items so that you begin to know that, that that information about the application and that information about the network and that information about kind of the end user experience all is kind of correlated with each other, either in terms of time or where it took place, or there's some kind of relationship of meaning among the different items that constitute the data. Once you've done that correlation, then you've got to shift from kind of a statistical correlational mode to more of a logical causal inference type of mode. You need to go from just establishing correlation among data items to understanding. And here's where the real observability kicker comes in that takes us back to that original definition of observability. You ultimately do want to be able to go from the data that you've got and establish what are the causal relationships that are present in the system that you're observing so that you can actually do something about what it is you're perceiving. So you need to take that causal analytic step. Once you've done that, then of course you want to bring together the teams that can work on it, human teams, robotic teams, cyborgs, so they can all begin to work on it. And then ultimately you want to be able to automate the response. And with those last two elements, those last two types of algorithms, that's where you get into the service management world. The first three types, the data selection, the correlation, the causality is, you know, that's in the realm of monitoring. That's in the realm of availability and performance management, collaboration and automation. Those are the things that are in the realm of problem and incident management, change and configuration management. But it is absolutely essential. You know, and ultimately the case that I want to make here is that even though, as I say, to date, there's been the world of observability and the world of AI ops. The truth of the matter is that in order for observability to do the work that the DevOps world wants it to do, it is going to need the kind of five-dimensional approach to AI ops that I've been talking about. Because otherwise, and as I say, why? Because human beings are too slow and our cognitive capabilities are really just not doesn't matter how smart we are or how much we know or even what monitoring tools we're using we're just not up to the task of being able to analyze the volumes of data that are coming in which are telling us about 
changes that are taking place in a microsecond time scale. So ultimately, in order for observability to do the job it's meant to do, it needs AI ops. And then going back to what we were just talking about, how you know these different systems, types of systems work together, AI ops has got to get out of its comfort zone, which is precisely kind of taking input from your APM technologies or your infrastructure monitoring technologies, your existing event management systems, and go straight to that underlying raw data, go straight to the logs, go straight to the metric, go straight to the traces and apply its AI magic, so to speak, directly to those underlying streams of data as they come in. How do you expect the AI to evolve over the next five years? I think, first of all, the most important thing is AI will be trusted to do more and more. I mean, right now, you know, in general, and I think it's almost a dogma in the opinion-making community that closing the automation loop, right, you know, taking the human being out of that automation loop is something that will never be allowed to happen, uh, that there will always be some kind of human decision-making point between what the AI system tells you is taking place in the environment and recommends the actions that you ought to take and the actual taking of those actions. It's a nice attitude and one completely understands where it's coming from. But once again, if you are dealing with systems that are changing at a microsecond scale, you're going to have no choice but to rely on those closed loops. It will just become accepted Uh, Even though it may be protested all the way, and even though the ultimate acceptance may not be acknowledged by the participants, but ultimately that loop will close in many, many cases with the consequence that the management of AI systems, IT for IT, you know, that will be increasingly a closed loop with relatively remote uh, human oversight. So I think that's probably the most kind of fundamental change. With regard to you know, how, how the technology itself is likely to evolve in the future, I would say you know, there's a couple things that one can say about that. Probably the most critical thing is I would say that you know, still to this day, when you look at most kind of AI ops architectures, right? And once again, I think this is, this is vendor agnostic, so to speak, uh, kind of the AI sits in the middle, you know, it's, you know, very, very much a kind of seen as sort of a kind of centralized brain that is kind of taking input from all these different environments and dealing with all these inputs from a central point. I mean, it's very much, uh, you know, how shall I say, almost kind of archaic uh, type of architecture. And I think what you're likely to see happen to AI ops technology, and once again, with that broader proviso that we're not just talking about, you know, kind of classical IT ops, we're talking about SecOps, we're also talking about kind of energy ops as well, right, that your IT system will in fact be kind of a community of intelligent agents that will do a lot of kind of local, uh, you know, applications of AI to IT operations use cases, and will certainly coordinate with one another as well. And I think you'll see a lot more emphasis on you know what used to be called distributed smart agent systems or uh, that kind of metaphor uh, kind of driving the design of a lot of AI systems. So on the one hand, once again, just to summarize, expect those loops to close. 
And I would say expect those loops to close in relatively short order. I mean, I'm talking once again, kind of a five-year time frame, and expect a kind of new generation of AI ops technologies that not only, you know, from the ground up feed directly on the underlying observability data streams rather than, you know, simply APM systems and infrastructure monitoring systems, what have you, but that are built in a much, much more kind of distributed type of node with a lot more emphasis on both kind of the local application of AI and then the kind of interaction among many, many different smart agents kind of at a later stage in the process. Thanks so much, Will. That's a great conversation. So you heard from Will. Do you agree, disagree? Or if you have an opinion, let me know. Let's uh, discuss this further. Also, if you'd like to be part of our podcast, let me know as well. Until next episode, so long and stay safe.